at Bible study on Wednesday when we read this text, my friend and colleague, Pastor Jennifer, said, I'm glad you have to preach that one. <laughs> Let's just say some of these aren't always fun, but they are there for our edification. Good old church word. We start in Matthew chapter 5, verses 21 through 37. You've heard that it was said to those of ancient times, you shall not murder, and whoever murders shall be liable to judgment. But I say to you, if you are angry with a brother or sister, you will be liable to judgment. And if you insult a brother or sister, you'll be liable to the council. And if you say, you fool, you'll be liable to the hell of fire. So when you're offering your gift at the altar, if you remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gifts there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother or sister, and then come back and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are on the way to court with him, or your accuser may hand you over to the judge, and the judge to the guard, and you will be thrown in prison. Truly, I tell you, you'll never get out until you've paid the last penny. You've heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you, everyone who looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one of your members than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one of your members than your whole body to go into hell. It was also said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that anyone who divorces his wife except on the ground of unchastity, causes her to commit adultery, and whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Again, you have heard that it was said to those of ancient times, you shall not swear falsely, but carry out the vows you have made to the Lord. But I say to you, do not swear at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not swear by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Let your word be yes, yes, or no, no. Anything more than this comes from the evil one. Let's pray. Bless, O oh Lord, the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts. O oh Lord, our rock, our strength, our redeemer. Amen. I always get a kick out of vanity license plates and the message that they're 
creator intended by them. And I saw this one, I couldn't believe. It's a hearse that says, you are next. <laughs> now that takes some nerve, doesn't it? That, that's some nerve, okay? The next one, a GM icon, and somebody in this room will know by the look of the rear of that Corvette what year it was. Which one? What year was it? You, be, you know better than me. 69 it goes, okay? The next one. A California tag left my heart in San Francisco. And then there's this one. HRT 4666. Heart for sin. I went and bought a new Honda, and when I went to the BMV, this is the tag I got. <laughs> I'm not kidding. When it was time this year to get a new tag, I got another one. What does it say that your pastor has such a tag other than that the Lord must have a sense of humor? <laughs> but so appropriate it was for this morning's scripture lesson. This little tag says loud and clear that we have a heart at times for sin. And the heart is exactly where we need transformation. And that's the message of our text. This is almost the end of Epiphany. Remember that first one when the star first appeared and it's declared that the real presence of God has come in human form in Jesus Christ. Then our John the Baptist shows up proclaiming that Jesus is none other than the God we've been waiting on. And his mission is to change the world. Next, Jesus comes with the simple statement, repent, because the kingdom has come very near. It's time to hold on to your hats. On the fourth Sunday, Pastor Jennifer opened the Sermon on the Mount, indicating that we are to be a blessing, the window through which the infinite love of God can be seen. Last week, we learned what that mirror does, that we are to reflect the activity of God in the world, being both salt and light, because God's presence with us is meant to have significant consequence in the world. And today, Jesus identifies the barriers that face discipleship. Now that the disciples have been set apart, Jesus comes to proclaim that righteousness as it has been practiced will simply no longer do.
We can hide behind the law if we like, but it doesn't keep us from sinning in our hearts any day. Matthew 5, 21 through 37 outlines the heart issue. By using the Ten Commandments, Jesus illustrates the antithesis of the law as it's understood. He now wants his disciples to understand more. Six of those antithesis statements are in chapter 5, but only four of them show up for us this morning. It's in those statements that Jesus uses hyperbole, huge exaggeration to paint the intent of the law over the letter of it. And he meant to shock and to awe. Murder, he says, now includes a description of anger against one's brother or sister because anger can kill just as surely as a bullet. Calling them names or insulting can be just as bad. So grievous is our neglect and insult to others that Jesus says, if you're going to church, leave your gift at the altar. Go and make reparation before you come back. In other words, what's the value of worship when so much poisons our hearts and separates us from each other and God? As we all know, adultery's out. But now even looking at someone inappropriately is cause for condemnation. Adultery, Jesus says, begins in a wandering, lustful, longing heart before it's actually committed. And by golly, if there's a part of us that sins eye or hand, get rid of it. People are not objects to be used. Divorce, well, it's been done since the beginning of time, but Jesus now places a limiting qualifier to it. A letter of dismissal was all it took to get rid of the gal that burnt your breakfast every morning for 20 years, and he says, no more. You could do it without thought, because women were property with no right of their own. Divorce would have left them homeless and without a means of support, causing her to commit adultery if she remarried. In other words, stop making decisions without understanding the consequences to those who have no voice. Oaths, well, very simply, let your word mean something. Swearing by God or on your mother's grave is needless and distracting. Live so that your word, when it's given, is as good as a deposit in the bank. Don't mess with people. Jesus' discourse is a call to a radical change of heart, 
a radical love that is countercultural to all we might feel, think, or do. Truth is, we can follow the law all day long and miss paying any attention to the intentions buried within our hearts, and the gap is significant. I learned of a new uh, thing going on in our economy this week. Joyce Parker, in a Wall Street Journal article, was struggling to afford the payments to her Kia Soul, and so she went back to the dealership and asked if she could turn it in. And the employee at the dealership said no, she'd just have to stop making payments. But he could sell her another car. It's called kicking the trade. It's difficult to estimate how often this happens, but apparently some auto sales veterans say that it is a practice of open secret in some showrooms. Vehicles are getting so expensive and Americans are struggling to afford them. Dealerships seem to be making more of their money these days, arranging financing over selling the car. If you get a loan and it goes bad, it's not the dealer on the hook. It's the borrower and the lender. When dealerships kick the trade, they typically get a lender to approve the new loan as the buyer gets a new vehicle, and so they go home with two cars and two loans and then only take the original loan and stop the payments. Now, don't you think we have some heart problems? Rachel Held Evans quotes Eugene Peterson by saying, we cannot and don't become more spiritual by becoming less human. She goes on to say, how can we love God with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength while disengaging all of those gifts when we read the scripture and look at the law? My friends, the scripture, the law, is given as God's intention and will for a healthy humanity. It's given as gift. And Jesus references the Ten Commandments as life's instruction book, God's gift to help us move through life with more life. Now notice, all Ten Commandments are given after God, after God has declared that Israel is God's people. Translated, the law was not the means by which we became God's people or through which we earn God's love. Rather, it was a gift given to God's people because God loves us. And from that point, the injunction to choose life 
is less than a commandment than it is a Jesus' heartfelt invitation, his earnest plea to view the intention as well as the letter of the law. Jesus reframing our righteousness goes to the heart of the easy truces we have made as human beings. Haven't we learned to pat ourselves on the back for not committing murder when we feel completely comfortable reeling and around a reputation of a co-worker with our words? Don't we even call that stabbing someone in the back? The notion that we must reconcile with anyone who has something against us before we give our gifts to God should stop us in our tracks. Why? Because there is no easy, private relationship with God when we come before the altar. My resentment, my alienation and estrangement from anyone else will always prevent me from seeing another as God's own, denying God's gifts in them. Read a little story about a boy named Frank. He was eight, and he started arguing with his little sister. Arguing became pushing and shoving, and next it soon became him having her pinned on the ground with his fist just about to give her one. It was then that mom walked into the room and she said, let your sister go. And he goes, she's my sister. I can do anything I want. To which mom said, she's my daughter. No, you can't. Do you hear our God Lead. There are reasons we need to say, I'm sorry, and mean it. Because healing is the goal. Secondly, Jesus understands the law has been given to strengthen community. The you in both the Ten Commandments and in Matthew... That pronoun is always plural. The law isn't about meeting and protecting our individual needs, but about creating and sustaining a community in which all of God's children can find health, safety, and blessing. Understand for just a moment that the crowd witnessing Jesus' teaching, many of them, maybe most of them, would have had no extra food in their cupboard or a wardrobe filled with outfits to choose from. They've been displaced by Roman Empire. They are not wealthy, nor are they powerful. They're sick, the underemployed, the repeatedly left out. These folks who are living a hand-to-mouth existence. They've been enslaved to a system that has taught them to worry about where their next meal is coming from. They're the wrong ethnicity. If you're a woman, you're the wrong gender. 
and a divorce won't keep a roof over your head. This isn't a getting-ahead world. It's just too tempting in situations like this to look after ourselves. And it doesn't take long for looking after myself to become, I can take advantage of you. Jesus is teaching that keeping the letter of the law without fulfilling its intent is not the justice of God. It's only by being different, now that we're set apart from the culture around us, that we can begin to notice how God is working in and through us. Only by being a living example of righteousness and mercy and humility will the world glimpse the kingdom of God that is forming through the spirit-filled community inspired by his life, death, and resurrection. The logic behind this biblical focus of community is simple. When we're looking out for ourselves, it's me against the world. Law understood primarily in legal terms, you see, ends up being a moral and all too often self-justifying checklist. No murder today. Check. That's a good one. No adultery today. Check. That's a good one. Jesus wants more from us. Actually, Jesus wants more for us. He wants us to regard each other as God regards us and thereby to treat each other accordingly. Jesus is getting radical about the law precisely by calling us to look beyond it or through it and through the heart of God. When we look out for the others in the community and they in turn turn around and look after us, it's the community together that faces the challenges and the setbacks and the opportunities that the world offers. And that's when the spirit of law becomes a gift to us. Third, the heart and intent of the law, now that we've been set apart, is meant to bring wholeness to the community. It is, in short, kingdom building. It's what we do when we love God, love others, and thereby serve the world. Jesus intensifies the law to make us aware and responsible with new eyes, new ears on behalf of the community. God's expectation of God's people will always place a spotlight on the ways we often shape our world to protect our bias. Why else would Jesus call attention to the pain caused by callous adherence to the letter of the law and not the intent of God's giving? This past week, there was a New York Times article that starts out like this. 
On a muggy June morning in South Carolina, a young black woman named Bree Newsom scaled the 30-foot flagpole outside the state capitol building and removed its Confederate flag. As police and protesters shouted at her from the ground, Newsom, just 30 years old, shouted back, in the name of Jesus, this flag comes down today. Ten days earlier, white supremacist Dylan Roof had walked into the Emanuel African and Methodist Episcopal Church in Charleston after sitting among the congregation for nearly an hour, and he aimed first at Susie Jackson, 87 years young. He killed nine people and the pastor that day. In pictures on the website, Roof posed posed rather with symbols of white supremacy and neo-Nazism, including the Confederate flag. The Emanuel massacre had reopened the debate among lawmakers about removing the flag from the state grounds. As you know, there were folks who pushed back against the change For Newsom, though, the flag had flown over the state capitol when her fourth great-grandparents had been enslaved in Charleston. It had been raised again at the state house in 1962 in defiance of the civil rights movement. And those white stars and blue bars had appeared at countless Ku Klux Klan rallies and lynchings over the decades before they had made their way onto Dylan Roof's Hyundai Elantra vanity license plate. This flag was more than a flag. Newsom said, I couldn't sleep. I sat awake in the dead of night. All the ghosts of the past seemed to be rising. She was unwilling to wait for yet another round of bureaucracy, so she and a group of activists made their plans. Her good friend James Tyson, a white man, ran her support lines from the ground, and of course when she came down, she and Tyson were arrested. As she was handcuffed, she quoted Psalm 27.1, The Lord is my light, and my salvation, whom shall I fear? Of course, they were charged with defacing a monument. But by the time they had posted bail, video event of the event had gone viral. It was this act of civil disobedience that put pressure on state officials to remove the Confederate flag permanently on July 10th, 2015, 150 years after the Confederacy lost the Civil War. On a muggy June morning in South Carolina, a young black woman named Bree Newsom scaled the 30-foot flagpole outside the state's capitol 
looking straight in the eyes of the beast and said, not today. Now that we have been set apart, what is it about the intent of God for God's people that we are shielding ourselves from? What is it that we would set God's people free by confession and restoration, acknowledging that our sins keep us from giving our gifts? Now that we're set apart, that's why we had to read this scripture this morning. Thanks be to God. We are God's people. And we have ears that hear. Amen.